Anyway, we, 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 we will find out. But, but it is a very, very warm welcome to those who are watching us live on the internet right now and also perhaps having downloaded it and, and are looking at it later. And also for those who are at home, I know some of you are ice-bound, snow-bound, baby-bound, stuck at home. And uh, anyway, well, it's great that we can link together with this time together. May God bless you wherever you are. And over the road, very, very close to home, just over the road, our very own Coronet Cinema sitting in the velvet luxury of cappuccino, croissant, and all the other things that they spoil you with over there. We come to Kensington Temple not for the cappuccinos or for the comfortable seats. But anyway, well, listen, I'm so glad that you're able to gather over there in the very good hands of Christian. And you've been enjoying your own uh, program up until this particular point, and we link together live for this service. So why don't we welcome absolutely everybody that is watching us here today. This morning I'm going to bring to a conclusion what has what proved to be a four-part series on the deeper life. We've been looking at how God wants us to take a, uh, have a deeper experience of Him, the kind of depth of experience that will enable us to survive and weather some of the things that are coming. There is a storm brewing against the Church of Jesus Christ in Great Britain. Uh, even just in the last couple of days, we've heard how it is apparently against the law of the land to pray at council meetings. And so this is a ruling now that it can't be officially part of a, a council meeting, but there's a bit of compromise going on because we, you can pray before the meeting and it can't be on the agenda, which kind of shows that that the nation is struggling with this whole issue of, the, of Christianity. And many people are, are saying, we don't want the secularists or the humanists to rob us of our Christian culture and our Christian heritage. And for us as believers, we're perfectly happy to stand without the aid of the state. The power of the gospel does not depend on number 10 or number 11. It depends on the throne of God. And so we have nothing to fear, but we also know that we can see the, the, the various weather fronts combining together to produce a perfect storm. And I have great pastoral passion in my heart today, and I really ask you to open your heart to the Holy Spirit to hear what God might say to you today. Because this storm is going to be so fierce that unless we have a strong anchor, whichever image we want to use, unless our roots are strong, our foundation is strong, we can be blown away. And don't think you could never make shipwreck of your faith. The story I'm about to reveal to you from the scriptures was a man who you'd thought who was never ever going to slip or fail or make shipwreck of his faith. Thank God he sorted it out um, before it got too, got, went too far. We're going to learn lessons from the life of Asaph and we're going to see how we can so fix our heart on Christ and not be distracted by anything, not be envious of the wicked, but to put our trust in Christ and to say we will serve you not because merely because of what we get out of you, but we serve you because you are deserving, you are worthy, you are holy, and you are God. Yes. So my title is How to Have a Sure-Footed Faith, and giving the way straight away in the subtitle by standing on the goodness of God. 
by avoiding the slippery slopes of envy, but by standing on the goodness of God. Let's go right into it today. I'm going to read with you the whole psalm, Psalm 73, which is a psalm of Asaph. More about him in a moment. This is how he begins his psalm. Truly, God is good to Israel, to such as are, such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walks throughout the earth. Therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I've cleansed my hands in vain. I cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I've been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my, by your right, by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside you. My heart... And my flesh fail. But God is the strength of my heart. And my portion forever. For indeed those who are far off from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord. That I may declare all your works. Now this psalm, like all the others, was one of the worship songs. One of the worship songs of ancient Israel. And uh, like all worship songs, they, good worship songs, they come out of personal experience and testimony. The words are tested and tried and, 
And here we have Asaph delivering this worship song. Oh, how different the story could have been if he didn't check himself when slipping down the slippery slope of envy. If only he had not discovered the rock-like confidence of knowing that God is good and said, that is my rest resting place. That's what will rescue me from sliding away to despair and to make sh making shipwreck of my faith. If he had not discovered that, if he had not had the presence of mind to take his doubts and his pain and his problems to God in the sanctuary and share them amongst God's people and receive the strength and nourishment that comes from genuine godly fellowship, if he had not done that, what a different story. His story would have been, people of God, I'm here today to tell you that I resign from being the lead worshipper in this church because I have discovered that what we are singing about is a fantasy. It's fake. If you want happiness, give up your stupid faith and religion and go and live it up with the world because that's where the blessing really is. That's where the pleasure is. That's where the joy is to be found. So I resign as from today. Now don't think it could not happen. Asaph was one of the three major worship leaders of ancient Israel in the time of David's sanctuary. Three of them. The others, we have Asaph, Heman, Ethan, who was also known as Jejuthun. They were Levites and lead worshippers. So Asaph, he's mentioned first, uh, he might well have been the leading worship leader, singer, songwriter, leader of worship of God's people in the nation. And in the world. And we could now start talking about who are our favorite worship leaders. So we could say Dave Wellington. All right. We could also move further afield and talk about some of these people, great national, international leaders of worship and music. We could think of, who could we think of? Israel Houghton. Darlene Czech, and we could go on and on thinking about these very powerful people. Imagine if just one of them said, I'm through with all this stuff. I want to say everything that I've sung is meaningless because I've discovered something in my life that doesn't add up. God blesses the wicked. Their lives are okay. It's us believers that have to go to hell and back and get nothing out of it. Wow, we better get into this story very quickly to see exactly what was going on. One thing I'd like to say at the very beginning. A Asaph said, my feet nearly slipped. It nearly happened. I nearly blew it. But thank God I went to the sanctuary. Thank God I met with him afresh. And if Asaph could nearly blow it, none of us could say, it never happened to me. No, 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 no. We have to learn from his experience and say, Dear God, I want to have a sure-footed faith that will ensure that I will never slip or slide and tumble down the slippery slope of what is... Now, I don't know what you've got behind me. We've got some people who are treading through the snow. That might remind you of what you were doing this morning coming here. Uh-oh, he, he never made it. God help him. God bless him. I hope there's somebody to catch him. That reminds me of a skiing trip that I went on, but uh, that's, not a, that's, that's another story altogether. One thing I like about Asaph is that he was prepared to be real and honest. And I like that. He wouldn't say, listen, if I actually believe that it's better off for me to live as a wicked person 
and enjoy the things that this world has, the pleasure, the power, the fulfillment of this world. I'm not going to come here singing songs, Jesus, I love you. You meet my deepest need. You are all I want, nothing else but you, who, 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 who. All that kind of stuff. I'm not going to sing that stuff. If this is real, I'll sing it. But if it's not real, I'm not going to pretend. Oh, <laughs> it's very significant that he understood that God didn't care about the utterance of the mouth. He was concerned about the state of the heart. Isaiah prophesied and he said, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That doesn't cut any ice with God, for sure. Uh, and also Jesus said, don't just think that it's about saying, Lord, Lord, you've got to do what I say. And many people who say, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, I never knew you. If you call me Lord, do what I say. Lordship is about surrender to the will of God in our lives. But this is not some kind of authoritative imposition of some standard upon our lives. Do or die, excuse my the reference to <laughs> do or call and die. Do or die. Or, 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 or you, be, you better follow God, otherwise He'll zap you, He'll kill you, He'll knock you for six. No, no and no. If that's the root of your faith, it will fail you. Because fear is not a good enough motivation to serve God. God is not looking for fearful, cringing servants. God is looking for sons, not servants. He's looking for lovers, not slaves. Think about that on February the 14th, just around the corner. God is the lover of your soul. And because He is the lover of your soul, He desires none but good. God's a good God. He wants good things for you. He gives good things to you. But you've got to let that belief enter deep in your heart. God is a rewarder, not a withholder. So it nearly happened. It nearly happened. And what was the big issue? The issue was this. As he looked around him, he thought, do you know what? Life is tough. I am struggling. My mortgage is overdue. My bank balance is negative. I've, there's problems in the family. My wife is nagging me to kingdom come. And my, and, and my, my, my mother-in-law, well, I, I, I worship the ground that she's got coming to her. <laughs> to, to use an old Les Dawson joke. Now, I'm making all that up. I don't know what his particular issues were. I don't know. But they were real enough for him to say, when I look around, what I see and what I feel doesn't match what I believe. What, what do you do when your foundation of faith is challenged? Let me tell you straight away. We have to expect this. Because what is faith? Faith is walking not by sight, but by the Word of God. And so, by definition, there will be daily disturbances, daily contradictions, daily attacks on your faith, just as you live a normal life. Because this world is based on what we can see and touch and taste and feel. It's based on what we want and what we think and what we feel. God's Word is another realm altogether. And so many times we have to say, God, I can't see you, but I believe in you. God, my circumstances are not what I wish them to be, but I know that your grace 
is sufficient for me. So he begins with this statement. God is good to Israel, to those who have committed their lives to Christ, to bring it right up to date. That's what he means. That's what it is for us as New Testament believers. God is good to Israel. And it's almost as if he's saying, no, you don't understand. I said, God is good. No, no, no. Really? He is good. No, you don't understand. I've been to hell and back again. And I got a message from the very jaws of death. I've got a message from the, from the very verge of shipwreck. And I tell you, God is good. He's a faithful God. Let me tell you about it. He said, as for me, I nearly blew it. I nearly blew it big time. Double deluxe, stabilo boss, highlight, underlined in purple and scarlet, blew it. Wow. What was the issue? The issue is, why does so much bad stuff happen to good people like me? And so much good stuff happen to the wicked. That's everybody else but me. And he describes his perception. And I tried to underline the exaggerated language that he's using when I was reading. I don't know if you picked it up. I'll, I'll try and draw it out for you as, as I speak. But you know, it, it is true, isn't it, that bad things happen to good people? Yes? It's also true that good things happen to bad people. Yes? But that's not the whole story. And it's not the end of the story. And we know there was something going on deep in, in, the, in his heart for him to be able to perceive his circumstances like this. And his um, rose-tinted spectacle view of people in the world shows me that he was, he was letting a spirit of jealousy and unreality at, uh, 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 influence how he, how he saw things. Okay? So, first of all, what he sees is that this, this world in which we live, it's, it's terrible. It just doesn't work according to, according to how we, how we, 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 what we believe. Because surely we believe that it's good to be with God and God's going to take care of us and nothing, no problem is ever going to happen to us. And, and those wicked people, they're going to get what's coming to them straight away. Straight away. But that's unreality, isn't it? You know, our hope is not in this world. It's not even really during the time that this world is going on. Our hope is in the future manifestation of the kingdom of God. When every tear will be wiped away from our eyes. What we have now is in training for reigning. Amen? And some of the best forms of training that the Holy Spirit can organize for us is the testing of our faith. Because when our faith is tested, we can be triumphant in the things of God. So he describes this rose-tinted spectacle view of the prosperity of the wicked. Now when we hear that word prosperity, we can immediately say in here, Amen. It's always the atheistic, unbelieving, undeserving people who win the lottery. And me, being a believer, 
Colin Dye says it's a sin to do the lottery. What does he know anyway? I bet you he does it secretly. There was a pastor who was always preaching against the lottery until one of the members won the lottery. And came and said, Pastor, I've won the lottery. You have? You're doing the lottery? Yes. And he was about to tell her off until she said, I won. He said, you won? How much? <laughs> I've won five million. You have? And I'm giving a double tithe to the church. So when he received the check, he said, I want to warn you, never ever do this again. So, I don't know. Let, let, let me just say, you, you, you can judge this for yourself. Because there's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not do the lottery. Alright, you can judge this for yourself. My thinking is this, it's gambling. And you are, we are, by doing the lottery, we're, well anyway, the people who do the lottery, I, I've seen them. They're queuing up and spending their last pennies buying a ticket for the lottery other than even buying food because they've got this fantasy that if they win the lottery all their problems will be gone but okay let's just take this for illustration purpose if I say to you it is a sin to do the lottery some of you might feel do you know what I don't want to be told that I'm being cheated why, why won't God let me do the lottery all the money goes to charity anyway why won't God let me do the lottery and that kind of thing in here which is this kind of rebellion thing, saying, don't tell me what to do. Why is God wanting to rain on my parade? Why is God telling me I can't do this? Because, you know, if I won the lottery, I will build that new building for the church. Will you? I wonder. <laughs> you know, Madame Guyon, who was a French lady, a very famous lady in church history, who was one of the most uh, deepest writers of spirituality and contemplation of Christ said this when we begin our lives as Christians the biggest problem we have is with our neighbor then when we go on with Christ we discover the biggest problem we have is with ourselves but when we go deeper we discover that really our basic problem is with God quite deep isn't it to think that sooner or later we're going to find ourselves arguing with God. And so he describes it. He says, the prosperity of the wicked. Now we know, I've been there. I've been there. When I think to myself, God, what are you playing at? It's not fair. Why could a pornographer write a check for a million pounds, true story, to buy a television channel? We can't even write a check for one-tenth of that to participate in and launch Christian television. It's a real story a number of years ago. Why is it that, that you know, they've got as much money as they want? They can put on the most lavish things. And we have to scrape every penny when we want to stand up and hire the Royal Albert Hall just to, for one celebration to say thank you, Jesus. It seems that the ungodly have all the money, all the wealth, all the power, and it doesn't bother me a single bit. I don't know about you. Excuse me, I better tell my face that it doesn't bother me. <laughs> but you know, this word isn't primarily about money. I was shocked 
when I saw what this word is in the Hebrew. When it speaks about the prosperity of the wicked, you know what Hebrew word it's used? Not the prosperity of the wicked, but the word is shalom. Shalom, peace. And the word shalom means total well-being. Not just physical, financial, circumstantial, but moral and spiritual well-being. Peace. It's the ultimate expression of the rule of God. And now we begin to see how deceived Asaph was becoming. Because we can testify, surely, yes, the wicked sometimes do have the biggest bank accounts. Sometimes they have the most power and influence. Sometimes they do. But one thing they do not have in any measure at all, they do not have the shalom of God. They don't have the peace of God. They don't have the well-being of God in their hearts. They may have everything that money can buy. Everything that power, corruption and violence and domination can acquire. But they do not have one second of peace. We may have none of those things. But if we have God, we have a shalom. A peace that passes all understanding. That's not worth comparing with anything. The very best that this world offers. But Asaph is saying, they have shalom. No, Asaph. Hello. No, they don't. That's a lie. Who is lying to you? And then he listen to this exaggerated statement. For there are no, verse 4, there are no pangs in their death. Yeah, I must admit it. The wicked do die eventually. But when they die, every one of them has a total peaceful and painless death. Fact? No. We know of believers who've suffered horrendously painful deaths. We know of non-believers who have peaceful deaths. Well, at the moment of passing is peaceful. What lies beyond is a different story. Okay? But uh, we also know that godly and ungodly can experience pain. We live in a world of pain. Don't tell me that there's no pains in their death. Verse 5, they are not in trouble as other men. They have no trouble, no pain. They have peace. They're not plagued in any way whatsoever. Now is that the truth? Now we've gone far away from good things can happen to bad people. Now we're talking about only good things happen to bad people. Is that correct? No, it's not correct. Not correct at all. So he, his perception is wrong. And what is eating at him is, is this envy. What he's, he, he is struggling with the goodness of God. You see, if you believe in the goodness of God, you see the bigger picture. If you, if you really believe in the goodness of God, when something bad happens to you, you say, God... I don't understand this. It's painful. But this I know. God's a good God. Like Job, and I gave this testimony before. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Lord, I don't like these painful circumstances. And I, and I wish you, you would not have allowed them to happen. But two things I know. Number one, good things come from a good God. God is not the troublemaker. God has not done this. 
This is not from God. But He has allowed it. That's the second thing. But He has only allowed it so that I may ultimately be blessed and that He may ultimately be glorified. And I'm willing to take that test. I'm willing to take that challenge because I serve you, God, for who you are, the great glorious Lord of the universe. I'm not in this for my petty little superficial satisfactions. Can I have an amen or an ouch? Whichever you choose. Whichever you choose. No struggles. They're healthy. They boast and get away with it. Now, this is the shocking thing. This is the shocking thing. Asaph, when he was mixing with these people and finding out how happy they were, don't, don't think, they, they, they pretend they're happy. They pretend they're happy. And, and maybe some of them are happy. They're the, they're the saddest of all. The people who pretend they're happy at least know in themselves that they're not. Okay? But the people who think they're happy and are not, that's the people you really need to feel sorry for because they will discover it too late when they wake up from their dreamlike fantasy of living in a world without God and thinking they can make it work. That is the, and today, listen to me, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and God is out of your life, a shock is coming to you one day. I pray that shock will happen before you die. Because if it doesn't, you're certainly going to be shocked when you wake up after death. For death is not the end. Death is not the end. And I just implore you today, give up, surrender, and say, Jesus, I need you in my life because you are the rock and the only foundation. Amen and amen. But the tragedy was when he was going around, where he was going, the bars, the nightclubs, the centers of pleasure, money-making schemes, everything he was getting involved in, your imagination can lead you anywhere you want and it won't be wrong. He was going to all these places to see and what he discovered was there were so many believers there looking in the wrong place for the satisfaction that is only available in Christ. Wow. This is why there is more passion for football than there is for Christ with some of the guys. Ouch. This is why for our lives we are still looking for in our career, in our relationships, in the pursuit of pleasure or our goals and ambitions. We have no time to serve God because we're too busy trying to grasp after things that are available only in Christ. That's why I had this teaching series, Hungering and Thirsting After Righteousness. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you as well. Amen. And he says this, we'll get this here in verse, 30, verse 10. Therefore his people return here. Where? To the place where worldly philosophy dominates. Sunday services is a, yes, Jesus loves me. Out there in the world is, I'm out for myself. We live like saints on Sunday and live like the opposite <laughs> out there. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to be nasty here. What I'm saying is that Often deep in our hearts there is a doubt. There is doubt about whether we can really trust God with our lives to come through for us. Whether His will really is good, perfect, pleasing and acceptable. Or whether we have to make our own way, make our own happiness without God. 
That's the struggle within our lives, and it's the struggle with the flesh. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. Waters of a full cup being drained, drinking from this cup is the cup of sin. And that's why believers are found amongst the ungodly, drinking the cup of sin, sharing with them in their pursuits, because at root, basic level, the ungodly goals are, have not been rejected from the hearts of God's people. Are you getting this today? Are you surviving? Uh, we're going through a period of turbulence. So I think you've put, a, put your seatbelts on right now. But it gets better. It's okay. It gets better. I believe every slip, every stumble in life can be traced back to this envy of the wicked. When we're thinking we're wasting our time waiting for God to come through for us so we go and take it into our own hands. I am issuing a warning. Have you ever seen a sign like this? You better listen to it. Uh, you know, what was interesting is that uh, when the snow was being prophesied, it wasn't prophesied, what did you say? Forecast. Okay, we prophesied, they forecast. <laughs> when the snow was being prophesied by the meteorologists and they were saying, it's, it's snow, it's coming, it's ice, it's coming, beware, beware, beware. And then I saw this lady on television complaining that she'd slipped in the snow. And I couldn't help but notice she had a mini skirt on and she had high heels, so high that I'm surprised she didn't slip on a normal day, let alone in ice. She had not heeded the warning. I want you to heed the warning. Listen to me. I say with all the love and compassion that God inspires within me, a storm is coming that shall be so perfect that whatever can be blown away will be blown away, including yourself. And we need to get to, get to grips with this. These last four Sundays that I've been preaching to you about is about making sure that your roots go deep, that your foundation is right. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Ice cream is good. And we're like ice cream on Sundays. We call it an ice cream Sunday. But this is more liver and onions for you today. It's giving you strong nutrition. We'll get to the dessert at some point. But are you with me, people of God? Okay. So, verse 13 tells us of the state he got to. This is his conclusion. Putting this into New Testament language. Verse 13, surely I've cleansed my heart in vain, washed my hands in innocence. What he's saying is, it's been a waste of my time giving my life to Christ and trying to live by the Bible. Because everything I want is forbidden. What I don't want to do, I'm told I have to do. And frankly, I've never been more miserable in all my life than when I tried to serve God. Anybody been there? Okay. And, and, and he now knows that he has to resign. So he thinks about his resignation speech. And you know what? He can't deliver it. Something happens to him. He can't deliver it. Because he, he thinks, I, I have to say, listen, I've got to be honest with you. I'm not just going to fade out. I'm going to go out with a bang. And I want to tell you, 
that I'm going out there because the world and the pleasure of the world and the power of the world and the satisfaction of the world is ten times better than anything you will ever get here in my worship services. That would have been the truth. At least he didn't say, you know, I'm, I'm actually feel, I'm taking some time out. Out from what? Out from attending Kensington Temple. Really, are you? Yes, I'm withdrawing a bit. I'm not going to go to cell anymore. I'm, I, because really, I don't like, and then fill in the gaps. I, somebody offended you at the door. God help you. It can happen any Sunday. It's happened to me. <laughs> oh, I, 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 didn't like, I don't like the way they talk. I don't like this. I don't like the kind of sermons they preach. I don't like the way Colin says I don't like. And so we make an issue out of a non-issue to cover the fact that really under here we're saying, I'm going my way. Thank you. I'm, I'm just making my decisions. I'm in control. I am number one. Numo uno rulo here. <laughs> he was honest. He was going to tell the truth. But when he contemplated that, he thought, I can't do it. I'm going to let them down. And I love this. I love this. We need this thinking in our hearts. It's very hard to attain to this kind of thinking in Western Christianity because we are so individualistic. We think it's all about me. It's all about who I want. We think church is the smorgasbord spirituality of pick a bit here, pick a bit there, HTB in the morning, KT in the evening, somewhere else, somewhere else, no roots anywhere. If you don't have roots... I'm going to mix my metaphor. Roots in the body of Christ it doesn't work as a metaphor. But if you don't have your roots in God, so deep that that's expressed in covenantal, connected relationships within the local expression of the body of Christ, you will not survive what's coming. You need each other to do that. So he said, and also, this isn't just about me. is isn't just about me. Do you think, that Amanda and I and some of the tragedies that have hit us and the pain that nobody would ever talk about or know about have not felt at times in our lives saying, oh my God, why? We serve you. We've done everything we could. We believe you left, right and center. And it would be the easiest thing to say, forget it. I'll go back to be a ballet dancer. And I looked in the mirror and thought, no. <laughs> not going to work. When we sin, when we move away from God, we affect other people. When you study the history of this, David, you know that this, there seems to have been worship schools that were passed down the generations because Levites were father and son and so on and so on. And so there was family, there was spiritual generations involved. And I cannot let this generation down. What about the other generations? And, and in verse 16, where it says, well, let's go to verse 15, because this is how he, this is how he leads into it. He, if I had said, I will speak thus, behold, I've been untrue to the generation of your children. That was the final thing for him. That was the brakes on his slippery slope. That was the safety net. That was the safety harness on the precipice for him. And verse 16, we see him suspended between two courses of action. What he wanted to do was chuck it all in and go and enjoy himself with the rest of the world. Because believe me, if you don't believe me, don't try it, but just believe me. The world will give you pleasure and power. 
but that pleasure and power will turn nasty and you will have violence and bondage. That's what will happen. That's what will happen. But he, he saw the pleasure and the power. I want that. I want an easy life. The, the world dwells at ease. I get oppressed. I get attacked. I, I'm in the firing line. The devil's on my case. The senior minister's up on my... On my case. But if I give it up, look who I'm going to let down. I can't do that. And it was that thought that was oppressive and painful. And it was that pain that drove him to the presence of God. God bless you. If you're going to sneeze, sneeze in the presence of God. And he said, how can I abandon the Lord? How can I let go of my privileged office as chief musician in the sanctuary? How can I neglect his ministry? How can I let his community down? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to get back to the sanctuary of God. Verse 17. It was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you're struggling... Keep showing up in the sanctuary. And this is not just the church building where we gather together. It implies that. But this is the secret place with God. Take it to God. Moan and complain. You'll never win an argument. I tell you in advance. You'll never win an argument with God. Never. Times when I've argued with God and I'm very, very frank with God. Because I take it that He sees anyway. So I say, you know what I'm thinking. So let me just spell it out for you, God. Why? What's the matter with you? You might as well do that than pick up the phone and criticize about the pastor or gossip behind the back of your brothers and sisters. Be honest. Go straight to God. You are a mumbling, grumbling complainer. Take it to God. Let Him meet with you. Amen? Amen. I understood. There's things you can only understand in the presence of God. And one of the biggest principles I want you to get out of this is that what you hear God say in the light, hold on to it in the darkness. Hold on to it in the darkness. Because it's just as true, whether it's said in the light, the happy times of your life, or those dark spots, those dark moments, those moments of testing and trial. And so I'm going to go to the presence of God. I am going to spend time worshipping God I gave a similar message to the uh, singers and musicians and I said, uh, worship leaders, eat your own medicine. And we did. To see them worshiping God, there was no band, Dave in his, with his guitar, and the, to see them. And I, I find it difficult to stop them worshiping God. And you see... When we profess that Christ is Lord, eat your medicine. He's not just Christ is, Christ is not just Lord when things are going fine. You get an invitation or a summons to the top floor in the executive offices. And there in front before the managing director, the chief executive officer, and they say, congratulations, you have been promoted 
to senior manager. You walk out there saying, God is good. Hallelujah. Jesus is Lord over my life. You get a summons to the top floor in the executive offices. And there is the managing director, the chief executive officer. And they say, we regret to say, you have been fired. God, where are you? Why do you let me down? If he's Lord, he's Lord when things are good. He's Lord when things are, leave a lot to be desired. Is that not right? Oh, come on, people. We don't measure God's love by our circumstances. We measure our lo God's love by the width of the span of Jesus' arms when he spread them on the cross to embrace the world with his love. Amen. I'm in the presence of God. I'm going to spend time with the Lord in worship. And I'm going to be with other people who love God. I'm going to be with other people who love God. Listen to me. I said it last week. I really feel I want to say it again. Woe to you if you fall, if you're on your own. But if you're with somebody, they can help lift you up. Listen. This is why we have our cell structure in the church. It's only a structure. It's only a tool. If you don't use it, you won't be blessed by it. It's about you relating to God's people in such a way as when you need to be picked up, they are there for you. And when they need you, you are there for them, especially in the groups of three. Don't think this is just some kind of, I don't know, secondary kind of thing that we just do to be different. I think that the only structure of church life that enables us to do this effectively is the cell structure or something very similar. Hook up into that and find out how you can be a blessing to somebody in their time of need and you can be blessed by them. I want to be with other people who love God, he said. And I'm going to hear the word of God. When I gather with other believers, they're going to minister to me the word of God. I'm going to hear the word of God. I'm going to hear the songs of praise. And maybe, maybe there's just one song that will bless me. Maybe there's something that's going to, be, going to minister to me. Fantasy, imagination right now. He goes into the house of God. And then Dave Welly, who lived a long time ago, did this song. And, and, and it was that wonderful song. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. The Lord has given. The Lord has taken away. But I'll bless him anyway. Am I being real this morning, people of God? And in the presence of God, you're going to discover three things. You're going to discover number one. That God is worthy to be served even when things go wrong. He's worthy to be praised even when we don't get what we want. Even when we can say, God, this isn't a sinful desire. Look, here it is. You told me this is a natural, normal, right thing to expect. And if you deny me this, where does that leave me? And God says, it leaves you with me. God only ever promises us one thing, himself, and that's enough. Praise God. Second thing you discover is that 
the, the uh, measurement of God's love is not measured by circumstances, but by the cross of Christ. Third thing we discover is the bigger picture. And here we have, he begins to describe what happens to the, to the wicked. Their life is only fantasy. It's not reality. Yeah, they, they, they may have present comforts, but they've invested in the wrong bank. They've invested in the wrong system. This world system will collapse. If you knew that such and such a bank, we could call it World Bank Incorporated Gloobity Gloop, just in case I could get sued. Nobody's, there's no such bank. And you put all your money in that. And if somebody said, no, that bank is going to fail. And you kept all your money and put all your investments and that fails, where are you? But if you take your money out of a bank that is going to fail and put your money in a bank that is never going to fail, the kingdom of God is forever. Hallelujah. And this is how it's described, verse 20. As a dream when one awakes, so Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. What this means, first of all, is that God will tolerate this behavior out of love and mercy, but there is coming a time when He will bring it back to reality. And when that happens, you will discover if you're building on a wrong foundation that the foundation will collapse. If you're living in the dream world of make-believe, human invention, that life works without God, you'll discover that everything you've trusted will turn against you and will fail. But Jesus will never fail. Amen. NIV says, when you wake up, you will find that you've been dreaming and you, God will despise them as fantasies. It's just as if people are living in the unreality of a dream world. And in their dreams, they've got everything they want. Life is working for them. But reality comes. And they wake up from the dream and discover that it was a delusion. Everything you trust in, apart from Christ, can and will fail you. And then he says, wow, Look, look, look what I have. Look what I have. Their idols cannot deliver. But verse 23, he starts talking about what he has. I'm continually with you. You hold me. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you receive me to glory. You're holding me by my right hand. You're leading me through the dark times. You never leave me. You never forsake me. There is a way through. I follow you. You stay close to me. And even I have to go to hell and back again, I will survive it because you are with me. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy star comfort me. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen and amen. And so he says, I've discovered you are all that counts. I have nobody else in heaven but you. Verse 25. There's none upon the earth that I desire but you. Though my heart and flesh may fail. Verse 26. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In the margin, that word strength equals rock. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the rock of my heart. 
sure-footed faith. Sure-footed faith. Christ is the rock upon which you can rely. You can scale the highest heights. You can edge across the most dangerous precipices of life. But with Christ as your foundation, you have a sure-footed faith. And so he comes full circle and says, as for me, it is good to be near God. I put my trust in you and you are going to be with me forever. And then he says, I will declare all your works. Then he goes away and he writes this psalm. What a brilliant ending. What a true testimony. God, help us. To have our faith so secure that it will face any challenge, even some of the most fundamental challenges that cause us to doubt the goodness of God at the heart of our being. For when we put our faith in that rock, we shall never fail, we shall never slip, we shall never stumble, but we shall be abundantly welcomed into God's holy kingdom. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Give me two more minutes, please. Just every head bowed, every eye closed, right across this place. I ask you also there, in the coronet, please, every head bowed, every eye closed. I know I've spoken so much to all our hearts as Christians, and I believe you received the message. Is that correct? Amen. Can I have an amen? amen. God help you. God strengthen you. But I want to pray a prayer for those people who have never yet committed their life to Christ. You are on the slipperiest slope of all. You may feel good at the top of the mountain with all the things that are under your command and you think you've got life figured out, but believe me, you could slip off that mountain in an instant and one day you will see how empty it really was. So why don't you now make that decision to say, I'm going to transfer my trust from myself and my plans to Christ and God's plan for my life. I'm going to receive Jesus Christ today as the rock of my salvation. If this is you, I want you to pray this prayer after me. I'm inviting everybody to repeat it after me, but it will be especially for those who have never received Christ before. Upstairs in the balcony, downstairs here in the main part of the hall, underneath in those people watching downstairs, behind me in the consolidation room, across the road in the coronet, everywhere under the sound of my voice, pray this prayer right now. Lord God, pray it strong. I come to you now and I ask you to impress upon my heart the truth of the gospel and I choose to put my trust in Jesus Christ as the rock of my salvation that I will not stumble and fall or perish but have everlasting life I receive Christ as the Savior of my life in Jesus name Amen Every head bowed, every eye closed. Consolidators, please be ready in position. One more thing before we go. I want you, if you prayed that prayer or want to find out more about the prayer you prayed, what this actually means, if you need Christ, I want you to remain seated. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Remain seated and say, lift your hand right where you are to say, I want help in this. I prayed that prayer. I need Christ. Lift your hand wherever you are right now. Would the consolidation people be ready? We have something to give you to put into your hand right away. Upstairs, 
people who need Jesus, lift your hand right now. Surely in a meeting like this, there are people who need Jesus. Where are you? Lift your hand high. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you. Uh, look, keep your eyes open, people. At the front here, at the front there. Upstairs, somebody else needs to know Jesus. Don't delay. We, have, we can't boast of tomorrow. Lift your hand. Say, I need Christ. I don't want my life to slip. You say, well, I'm not understanding this. We will help. We will talk. We will explain. That's what it's here for. Please go to those people right now. There's somebody who's lifted their hand and they've not had anybody. Right here on this side. Where are the consolidators? Please watch me and look. I need you to help right now. We want to. Every soul is precious. Downstairs in the low hall, overflow. Over there in the road, over the road, you're in good hands with the coronet. Watching online, you can email us straight away. We're going to pray for these people right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. Everybody pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for our security in Christ. And we pray that that security will be given to these same people who've lifted their hands in indication that they want Christ in their lives. Show them the truth. Show them the reality of this. And let your holy name be honored. Amen and amen. Let's give Jesus a mighty big praise. God bless you.